on and then turned it back off. I did. I'm a rascal. You got to watch me sometimes. If you have a copy of the scriptures, uh, you can turn that to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. As you're turning there, I'll share with you one of my favorite all-time viral videos. And in no way do I share this to be at the expense of anyone or to make fun of anyone. But hopefully, I, I, I don't know her personally. I haven't got to hang out after. Hopefully, we would laugh together about this. All right? But one of my all-time favorite viral videos happened back, I believe it was in 2007. As soon as I say it, some of you are going to remember it instantly. There was a beauty contest. And it was Miss Teen USA. And in 2007, they had made it down to the portion of the contest where they ask questions and they're getting to learn about kind of the character and the mindset and the worldview of the contestants. And so they asked Miss South Carolina, if you recall, they asked her this question. They said, listen, it's been reported by polls that, that as many as one-fifth of all Americans can't identify the United States on a map. Which, first of all, Lord help us. Okay, first of all, right? We're in trouble, if that's true, all right? So they answered that question. They said, this is what's true, and, and why do you think that is? What's lacking in our educational system? What would you change? These are the kind of things that they're looking for from her. And if you'll remember, God bless her, I think she was just as nervous as she could be. She just started off and was wrong from Jump Street, right? She said, first of all, I think that many U.S. Americans, right, as opposed to non-U.S. Americans, I suppose, I think that many U.S. Americans don't have things like maps in the classrooms so that we can have maps in places like South Africa and Asia. And then she said, we don't have maps in places like such as, and I didn't know there was a place called such as, right? But that's what she said, so I'm running with it, right? And she just stammered and yammered through these words, and she kind of ended it even... You could tell the, the guy who was the MC for the event was kind of pulling the mic to like graciously be like, thank goodness your time's up. We love you. We're sparing you. This is mercy to you. We're done. And, and even then, as he pulled the mic away, she still kind of crowed her neck over to the side and said something like, so we can make the world better for our children. <laughs> it was the most discombobulated answer ever heard in my life. And it was obvious in that moment that she had been coached up. When you're asked questions about culture, about society, about the world, about the United States, if you're going to be Miss USA, and how we interact with other countries and try to lend them a hand and better them, she had some pocket answers. She had some quotes and some phrases she was supposed to give out. And they asked her a question she was not ready for. See, she knew the answers, but she didn't really understand the question. <laughs> She knew the preset answers. She knew how to give those out and say, we need to help our classrooms. We need to give more resources to our classrooms. She knew to mention the places that she felt were most in need of aid, so, or, or maybe were just hot political buzzwords at that moment. Let's mention South Africa. Let's mention Asia. Let's be sure to say that. And, of course, such as, because poor such as, right? But she knew to answer the right way. She knew what the answers were, but she didn't understand the question. I've been there in my life, a lot. I've been in the place where maybe I knew what the question was and, and I knew what the right answer to the question was, but I didn't understand the concept that I was actually answering about. 
I've been there a lot of times. My, my way I made it through high school and much of college was just to figure out strategies for how to pass the test. I would memorize long math problems by what the first character in the problem was, and then I would remember and try to remember how to do some of the answer. I didn't understand what I was doing. I just knew what to write on the page. I knew the answers, but I didn't understand what I was doing. You've experienced this in your own life, no doubt, or you've at least seen it elsewhere. It's this that brings us to a weekend like this and a day like tomorrow, Memorial Day. And I hope you've seen it. If you haven't, you should go check it out, and then you should laugh, and then you should pray, okay? When they ask people, there's these viral videos of people on the street saying, hey, we're about to have a day off on Monday. What's that day for? And some of these young folks, and I can say that because I'm an old folk now, right? There's a man in this room in his 20s who calls me sir, all right? And so I'm going with old at this point. They're interviewing some of these young folks, right? And they're asking them, what are we off for on Monday? And they're like, to have a good time. They're like, yeah, but why are we off? Like, what's the day on the calendar? It's not have a good time day. What day is it? And they're like, I don't know, man. I don't know, bro. (laughs) They tell them it's Memorial Day. I remember seeing one video. They asked this teenage girl, what is Memorial Day about? And she yammered on. It might have been the girl from South Carolina, now that I think about it. She yammered on, and she was like, well, it's just a great day for us to memorialize our families and all of our favorite hobbies and interests. And I was like, she doesn't know what memorialize means, obviously, right? Right, you get answers from, from people that are well-intended and even honorable, but they're still wrong. It's like, hey, we just want to recognize all the military. We want to care. That's all good, great stuff. But Memorial Day, right, is about honoring those who have given their life in sacrifice to fight for our country. No matter how you feel about war, how you feel about some of the agendas of wars in the past, all that stuff, you have to see honor in the fact that someone else would go and risk their life and ultimately give their life for your sake. And yet we have people who don't understand at all. They just know some catchphrases and some quotes to throw out there about the USA and the states and the the North and the South and Britain, and they're just saying random stuff. They know some answers, but they don't understand what they're actually talking about. It's why so many college students, at least I believe, can go off to university, and so much of their philosophy about life and so much of their worldview can be changed sometimes so easily, sometimes so quickly, Because their parents have maybe faithfully tried to sow into them the right character. And they've taught them the answers, but they don't understand why those are the answers. And so when someone else rips apart the why for those answers and gives them a why for a different answer, they go, well, I understand that. I see the pathway there. I know why I'm going there. See, when we mistake and acknowledge for understanding, we position ourselves for struggle. When we mistake simply knowing a thing for understanding a thing, we're putting ourselves in a place in life where it's going to be harder. (laughs) Every single time. That's why I believe as we study through the book of Ephesians, Paul is using so much time on the front of this letter, and specifically today he's going to dig in really hard and say, I want you to understand. I want you to understand. I don't want you to just know that God has remade you. I don't want you to just be aware of the fact that God has done a work in your life to re-identify you. But I'm teasing out all these different things that God has done in you, that he's carried out in your life, because I don't just want you to know. I want you to understand. 
In, in a nutshell, he wants them to understand this verse that we're working to memorize together. Some of y'all thought I forgot. Ha! Here we go. Right? We're kind of cheating, though. It's kind of not fair for you, but we're going to do it anyway, right? One, two, three. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17, keep working on it. This is the reality that Paul is super concerned with this church in Ephesus, not just being aware of, but understanding. He's unpacking so far in the first chapter the fact that there's spiritual blessings for us, every spiritual blessing that's available to us is available to us in Jesus. And he started to tell us about some of those. He said, you were picked before the foundation of the world. You've been called holy and blameless, even though your life doesn't always look that way. That's how God reckons with you and acts towards you. You've been adopted. You've been redeemed. You've been given an inheritance we talked about last week. He's going to pick up from that point. He's not necessarily going to tell us more of these spiritual blessings, but he's going to say, I want you to understand. Let's see how he says it. Let's start in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So he starts in verse 15, he says, for this reason, there's some question there. If you're studying the Bible, the next logical question would be, what does for this reason point to? Does it point to what he's about to say after the comma, or does it point to what he's already said in verses 1 through 14? I believe the answer here is yes. I believe he's saying, for this reason, because God has remade you, because these realities have been played out in your life, verses 1 through 14, and because I've seen it displayed in your life, it gives me confidence to see you living out the identity that God has built you up in, which is what he's about to say. He says, for this reason, because God has done this, and because I see you living not perfectly, but faithfully in this, because the pattern of your life is towards this and not away from it, for this reason... I've heard of this, the, the faith that you have in Jesus and the love that you have toward the saints. It's not a major point for today, but I would be failing you if I didn't just point out to you that as our trust and hope and faith in Jesus grows, our love for others will grow. So many times we're encouraged and we're pushed in American Christian churches on how to treat others and love others and the, the others become the focus. And it's a great focus as long as it comes right after Jesus. Because if we work really hard in our lives to love others and do perfectly and serve hard and always serve, we will exhaust ourselves with a low tank of love for Jesus. But if we start with placing our faith in Jesus, I want to know you, I want to walk with you, I want to love you, I want to trust you. When our faith grows in Christ, our love towards others will grow. Will we have to work at it? Yes, because we're called to. But it's God working it in us that as we have faith in the Lord Jesus, our love towards all the saints will grow. It's Paul saying, I've seen that fleshed out, evidencing these verses 1 through 14. That's why, verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Man, could you say something bigger or cooler? Could there be a better compliment? He says, I do not cease. Literally, I do not stop 
give me thanks for you. What if a person just looked at you and went, hey, you know what? Every minute, every second, every day, you know what I do? I just say thank you for you. It's a pretty big phrase. He says, I give that kind of thanks for you. And then he says, I remember you in my prayers. What a huge deal it is that Paul is saying, listen, I don't just teach you. I don't just encourage you. I don't just challenge you. What I do first and what's more important is that I pray for you because my efforts can hopefully be a benefit to you as God uses me. But guess where all the real strength for change comes, all the transformative grace comes from him. I'm praying for you. And then he's going to tell us, this is what I'm praying. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So he didn't just say, hey, I'm praying that Jesus would give you the knowledge of him. I'm praying that Jesus would say, open up your heart. This is what I I am. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. He doesn't just say, I want you to have the knowledge of him. He says, I'm praying to God that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. That you might have a a, a supernatural, God-given ability to see and understand things. That your heart may be enlightened to see, but to see what? Says, I want this to happen for you that you would grow in the spirit of wisdom. So not just knowledge, but the application of knowledge. That you might grow in wisdom in the knowledge of Jesus in revelation. That your understanding would continue to grow and continue to get bigger until you understand more about who you are in Christ. Says, I want you to see this. And then he's going to tell us several different things specifically that he's hoping that we will see. The first one is this. He says that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. He wants you to know the hope to which you've been called. If you've been around for the last year or so, when we talk about hope around here, because I just need a working definition or I don't understand what I'm reading. When I think about hope, I think about confident expectation of good based in the character of God. So it means I confidently expect good things, ultimately good things. I confidently expect them not based on myself, my abilities, not based on how much my mama loves me, even though she thinks I'm a special snowflake, right? None of that stuff. I expect good. I expect it confidently because of the character of God. He said, I want you to know the hope to which you have been called. For whatever reason, it's... It's a little bit of kind of like a a core brokenness in me. Kind of one of my core struggles is that I I never want to be a burden on people, right? I all day long will preach, say, hey, let's help each other. Let's serve each other. Let's make sure people know where we need each other. Let's be a family. Let's do it. But when it comes time for me to ask for something, that oftentimes can be difficult for me. And and I don't know where that exactly comes from. I hadn't figured that out. doesn't really matter. but, But I just remember... Right, there have been times in my life, even as a young adult, where I probably needed just a little bit of help, a little bit of advice, or maybe even a little bit of financial help. Right? I'm not talking about a ton, but just, just a little bit would have gotten me a couple weeks farther, made a huge difference. But I struggled and just beat my head against the wall of reality because I would not ask my parents. <laughs> my parents who would love to bless me, my parents who bless me all the time, who, who would be glad to do whatever for me. I would not ask them, and I don't remember exactly what the circumstance was, but I remember my dad one day. I remember my dad looking at me and saying, man, will you quit trying to do it by yourself, and would you ask me? 
said, I may not be able to do everything you need, but I will do and want to do everything that I can that you need. And it was just like, man, it's like the walls opened up and I could see clearly this is a man who has some of what I need and it's a man who's saying to me, you should not think of me and expect that I would say no to you. You should not think of me and expect that I would go, here it is, but you stink. I can't believe you need this, sucker. Right? He's not going to say that. In fact, my dad never says sucker. Right? That's a new thing. Right? He's not going to bemean me and gift me begrudgingly. He's going, that's not who I am. I don't want you to expect that there's going to be right, a, a berating, that there's going to be a, a teaching, that there's going to be a lecture. I want you to expect that you have a father who loves to give you good things as much as I can. I one time asked my parents for a semester off of college. They didn't give me that because it wasn't good for me. They knew, as I now know, that there's no way I ever would have gone back and finished. So they said, no, the expectation is not that we get whatever we want. The expectation is that when we need a thing that is good for us, we have a father who says, don't wonder, don't doubt, don't live in the negative mindset and think that there's no way I'd do it or that I'd do it with a hand clenched tight and you'd have to rip it out of my hand. Right? Instead, think that you have a father who loves to bless you with good things. Think that he has called you to this big, expansive, vast hope, this big, confident expectation of good in who he is. He says, I want you, and I'm praying for you to know and understand that. He goes on to say this at the end of verse 18. He says, I also want you to know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? There's an interpretive challenge here. Okay? So sometimes no matter how well you've read up and studied up and what your plan is for approaching Scripture, you're just going to reach points of the Bible sometimes where you're going to have to pray and make a faith decision. The decision here is this, is when it's talking about his inheritance, his glorious inheritance, is it saying that Jesus gets us as an inheritance and it's glorious and rich and he's excited about it? Or is it saying that, that we get Jesus as an inheritance, kind of what we've already heard in verses 1 through 14, and it's glorious and rich and we should be excited about it? Now, here's what I love. It doesn't always happen this way, but many times I've found over the years when I reach a point where I'm not sure which is the intended meaning, when I start to search, the Bible actually teaches both, and that's so encouraging. Then I go, man, I'm not losing my mind here. I'm not going to just jump off a heretical cliff. I believe that's the case here. I believe the Bible teaches both. But I believe here, and it's just my, my stance, right, that what he's speaking of here is not the, us inheriting Jesus, which I believe he spoke of earlier, our inheritance. I believe the inheritance here is his. That's why it says his inheritance. I believe he's saying Jesus views you, children of God, as a rich and glorious inheritance. He views you as something that he gets from the Father, that he has come and lived faithfully and died faithfully and rose from the dead powerfully. And in all of that, in that relationship with the Father, he gets to inherit us. Now, some of us are already starting to bristle, kind of like my soul does. I start to bristle a little bit. I start to hear anything about how great I am or how great we are as humanity, because I always think that theology that makes God look bigger is good theology. <laughs> Not theology that makes us look bigger, but understand this, this makes God look bigger because of his huge humility. 
This is Paul saying to them, what I want you to understand is this, that Jesus views you as a radically awesome inheritance. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, I think what Paul's trying to get across here is that is that God is so proud of you that just like you would put that, that championship trophy up on the mantle, God would place his children up on the mantle and go, look, look at what I've done. Look, look how awesome they are. Look how amazing they are. Look at what I'm doing in their lives. Look at me. And so the honor is his because he places and he points. But the honor is ours because he considers us so this is a travel communion set. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these before. I don't know how common they are. This is a travel communion set. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. I didn't count beforehand. There's six little cups in there. Right? There's a little place to put the wafer. Uh, there's Here you can put uh, the, the grape juice in. I'm not sure what's going on over here. That may be a salt shaker. I don't know, okay? But this is a travel communion set. Now, I've never, as a pastor so far, in, encountered a situation where I had to think through and pray through whether I would go and do an individual communion, maybe with somebody who's homebound or in the hospital. I, I think I probably would. I haven't really had to think through that. But the reason that I, I show this to you today is because it belonged to my grandfather. It says right there on the top, Reverend George A. Canoles. Right? Some of you are going, Canoles, what heritage is that? If you find out, let me know. Okay, I don't know. Right? George A. Canoles, my grandfather owned this. My grandfather used this. I watched my grandfather for parts of his almost 40 years in ministry when he worked a full-time job and would also pastor multiple churches at once. He would have them have services at staggered times because he didn't want there to be a church without a pastor. So he would say, I'll come every Sunday. I'll come and exhaust myself. He would leave hours and hours of work to go and visit people in the hospital or go and visit and talk with people that he knew were struggling. My grandfather loved Jesus so much. And when he passed away, I got a little bit of money. Right? Not a lot. I got a little bit. But what I got probably that means more than anything to me is this. I know that his hands have used this, and I know that it was his faith fleshed out in the moments that he touched and used this. And man, I love that. That was my mom's dad. This this Bible belonged to my dad's mom, my mama, right? Because we're south of the Mason-Dixon. We're not going to call him something like grandmother. No, we're going to call him mama, mommy, mini mouth, whatever you call him, it's fine with me, right? Just know that I may not know what you're talking about, but as long as that's good with you, it's good with me. This is my mama's Bible. A woman who met Jesus, as I recall best, in her 60s. A woman who went from darkness and despair and doom and gloom to absolute radiance. Everybody who saw this lady loved this lady. You would have been shocked when she passed away at 98 years old. How many people lined up to come and honor her? Her life was a light, and I can't tell you how many times I spent the night at her house. Or I had to go over early on a summer morning because my parents had to work. And I would see early in the morning when it's still dark outside, the light, that musty light, old light bulb in the kitchen, over the kitchen table. And my mama sitting here reading this word. That's one of my most cherished and treasured possessions. Not just because it's a book with some words in it. I very rarely read the scriptures. I, I look at her notes sometimes just to see what she thought and said. But I cherish it because it's, it's a picture of her life that she touched, that she used as she lived out a radiant faith. And I say all that to tell you this. If you came into my office, it's a safe place, by the way. Sometimes people come in there, I think they think they're in the principal's office. You're not. You're good. There's no paddles. 
right? I'm not looking to be militant, all right? right? If you came into my office and looked around, you would see these two things sitting on the floor. There's a lot of other stuff in there that I hadn't got up yet, hadn't got hung yet. There's stuff just laying in the floor. <laughs> There's stuff that's probably not ever going to be part of the decor that I'll end up throwing away. But these things make it to the shelf. And they're on the end of my desk that's right around the corner where I walk around my desk every day to sit in my chair. And more days than not, I walk around that end of the desk and I look and I see my inheritance from them. And I'm like, that is awesome. That is an encouragement. Because we highlight that which we value. And the point that Paul, I believe, is making to the Ephesians is this. It almost feels a little bit irresponsible theologically to us, but I think the gospel often does. I think it makes us have to step back and go, whoa, you mean he really has that much grace? Yes, he does. Jesus views you as that special thing. He views you, church. He views you, follower of Jesus, as that inheritance that's glorious and it's rich and that's how he feels about you. The Father has called you to hope. The Son considers you an inheritance. Man, I don't care what you say out loud. Somebody better be praying in your soul right now. (laughs) How can we trust these things today? How can we trust that it's true in the moments when we're doubting it, in the moments when we're aware of our failure and we're swallowing shame and having to fight it back How can we actually trust that God would feel this way about us? I believe we'll get some help with that. Verse 19. And what, this is the third thing he wants us to know about, to have more understanding in, it's what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places. Do you hear that? He says, I'm hoping that you'll understand better the immeasurable greatness. So you could say, man, that's really good. And you go, no, it's better than good. It's great. And you go, man, that's, that's not just great. That's chock full of the stuff. That's greatness. It's essence. That's greatness. And he goes, that's not even big enough. Immeasurable greatness. I want you to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward you. It's not just that his power is immeasurably great. He wants you to know and understand his power aimed at you. His power in loving care towards you is immeasurably great. He says it's immeasurably great. Why is that? Because it's according to the working of his great might. (laughs) I remember one time I I grew up as a kid as, as a ballpark rat. I was at the park all the time playing baseball. Anytime I could be there, I wanted to be there. Chicken fingers were great in the concession stand. They sold my favorite gum. It's called Splashers. It would make your tongue change color. I thought it was great. Right? I loved the whole, everything about it. I loved coming home dirty and trying to argue with my mom out of a shower. The whole thing. I just loved the ballpark life. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but something had scared a group of us one time. A group of us boys, we were probably nosing around in a place maybe we weren't actually supposed to be, <laughs> maybe if I had to guess. And there was a noise, and something scared us to death. I remember we all took off running. And we were scared. And I saw a few feet over coming towards us this guy named Mike Bryan. Right? And back in those days, I haven't seen him lately, I don't know. But back in those days, Mike Bryan looked in, in the early 90s about like David Hasselhoff, except bigger and stronger. All right? And so if you don't know who David Hasselhoff is, that's your fault. Okay? But the Hoff was a stud. Right? 
just big and just right. And Mike Bryan looked at, the, at David Hasselhoff and was like, "You make me laugh, tiny fellow." That's what he thought. Okay, Mike Bryan was this big dude with long mullet hanging out in the back, curly. It was beautiful and rich. He almost never had on sleeves. He wore those short coaching shorts, so you could see muscles just bumping out of his. They were just like, I don't know what. Like God just carved this dude out of muscle and said, "His name will be Mike." Right? I don't know. Like he he was coming towards us. Right? And all of a sudden it was like, whoo, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good because the guy at the park who drives the awesome Ford Bronco with no top because it probably wouldn't fit with all of his muscles trying to hang out, that dude is running towards me. I'm good. <laughs> I'm safe. I remember him coming over. I was leaving his son was with us, picked him up, picked another dude up. We were all kind of like, man, I don't know. It was a noise back there. We don't know sure what it was. We don't know who it was. He's like, it's good. It's good. And there was just something about when he grunted, it's good. I was like, it's good, right? Fine now. Never scared to begin with, right? But watch this. If some little dude, just a dude a year or so older than me, about my height, scrawny, if he had been running at me and going, don't worry about it, I got you. Back in those days, it would have sounded more like, don't worry about it, I got you. Right, if he had been running at me saying that, he could have been coming toward me all day long, but it wouldn't have encouraged me or comforted me a bit. Why? Because he didn't have the strength. He didn't have the might. What Paul is saying to the church in Ephesus is this. Hey, listen, I know the world is hard. I know you're faced against false teaching. Much like in our world, I know you wake up and there's a new question and a new challenge. Be that in what to think and how to handle it as a follower of Jesus. There are circumstances beating the mess out of you. There are things even in your own soul that you see and you go, oh, why can't I get free of that? I know that it's hard and that it's difficult, but listen to this. Take comfort in the fact that the immeasurably powerful God is headed toward you with his power. Not just once to come and rescue you at the cross. He lives as a dad who is watching and who is responsive and who is ready to leap into your life. Know that he is the one who has come and he is the one who will continue to come into the scenes of your life. This is your God. If you've been remade and adopted, you have this God, this God, and your Father. More than just power. Quickly, we'll finish out. Verse 21. It's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I believe he's saying there that God is big enough to fill in our lives and our every need, our need for joy. I need for faith, I need for courage, I need to trust when it's hard. God is big enough to completely fill in every one of those spaces such that his church, his body, would go and fill in the world. In some of those empty spaces, we would take the God in us into those empty spaces. He says, listen, it's not just because he's powerful, but this one that fills all in all, it says here, he's the one who has been made the authority that's above every authority. Right? He's not just strong, he's not just mighty, he's in charge completely. I had a friend in high school named Chris who was as brave as they came, man, and he went into teacher's lounge and he was going to get us all drinks for teacher's lounge that we weren't supposed to be in. 
it was so awesome that Chris would go and do that. But one day Chris was going to do that, and, and it wasn't on purpose, but a teacher kind of came at a corner at an angle I wasn't seeing as the lookout, and I just saw her and went, hey, and turned and walked off. I just kept on walking. Chris got smoked, right? Chris got in trouble, right? He was brave enough to go to the scary places. He was brave enough to go in the place that he wasn't supposed to be, but he had zilch authority to be there, and he got every bit of discipline that came his way. Our God in heaven is not just powerful. He's not just for us, but, but he's coming toward us in his strength. Our God has every authority. He's in charge, and what he says goes. What he says goes in the world around you, but understand this follower of Jesus, lean in if you want to. Anything else, we'll wrap it up, but here it is. What he says goes about how he's remade you. What he says goes about who you are if you've trusted in Jesus. Your sin doesn't get to declare that and determine that. Your past doesn't get to declare that and determine that. Your struggles don't. Your friends don't. Nothing gets to say with authority who you are except the Father of the Savior in whom you have hope. And he says you're part of the family. He says you're a rich inheritance, special enough to sit up on the mantle and point people to him. He says you're holy and blameless. He has remade you. Regardless of how you feel about it today, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is true for you. Now what do you do with it? Every day, all day, we're all faced with the decision to live in line with the truth of who God has made us to be. Or to wander away from that in doubt. Or to wander away from that in rebellion and go, I don't want to be. Where is it in your life, follower of Jesus, that trusting who you really are in Him needs to shape who you are to others? Needs to shape your approach to God? Needs to shape your investment? in the person across the aisle from you at work, needs to shape the way you view people who are completely different from you and have opposite opinions of you. How does knowing who we are, not just being aware of the titles that God has given us, but really deeply, richly understanding how he's going to work in us, how does that need to propel us forward as followers of Jesus? If you're here today, you're not a follower of Jesus. We want you to be didn't say anything about being a member of Dunstan Bible Church. We'd like that too, but that's not our aim first. Our aim is just for you to know Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that you know him, if you've sat here Sunday after Sunday and you've heard the same spiel, listen, doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, I'm saying, do you know God today in a relationship of faith by trusting in Jesus? Do you know that you know that for sure? If your answer to that is no, you're not an enemy and you're not amongst hostile people, you're amongst people who used to be where you are. Come find me when we're done today. I'd love to talk with you. Check on that card close to your seat and say you'd like to speak with a pastor. And Lord willing, we'll get with you this week. Do you know Jesus? This Jesus who would die as a perfectly holy lamb, who would die and raise from the dead so that you could be one of the ones that God puts all this on you. Make your life easy all the time. In fact, your life may be harder, but I promise Every day is with Jesus. Even your worst day with him is better than your best day without him. Would you trust him? Would you step out of your fear? Would you step out of worry about what other people think? And would you just acknowledge reality? Because the thing about reality is it's, it's reality whether we acknowledge it or not. If you don't know Jesus, we'd love to talk with you about it. If you do, how does who he says that you are need to shape your life?
God, I, I praise you and thank you that even as we've sung today that you will not fail and that you will come through and that you will provide. You've done it even today, God, even this morning as we sang, even this morning as we've opened your word, you have been faithful to do that. Praise you for it. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for showing us, and, and God, especially thank you for showing me Yet again, your faithfulness to prove yourself, even though we don't have to. Thank you for showing again, God, that you're worthy of our hope, that you're worthy of our expectation, that you want to do good, that you will do good. God, I don't, I don't know what we're doing in each individual soul in this room, but God, I, I hope and pray that you would be opening eyes, God, that you would be reawaking nerves that, that have fallen asleep, God. That we would feel a new energy because you are showing us how you care for us and love us, how you reworked us in your mind. God, would you do that in us? I pray that right now you, by your Spirit, would make things clear for us. God, things that we need to acknowledge, things that we need to confess, things that we need to take courage in and step out in in faith in. Just make it clear to us. God, I pray that this week you would prompt us and remind us. God, that you would uh, see your faithfulness. Remind us who we are in you. And all that would be for your glory and our joy. Do this in us, in your name, Jesus. Amen.